We are uh, in a series called Your Best Life. You got to say it like that. Your best life. Your best life. I don't know why you got to say it like that. It feels right. Um, and uh, this series has been taking us through some good core values of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A recalibration for our community of the things that we want to be centered on. Gospel, the good news. What is this announcement that brings us all together? Community, identity, who are we? Mission, what are we called to be about in power? And so we're beginning our two weeks on, we've been spending two weeks on each of these words. And we're beginning our two weeks on mission today. Uh, and so, can't drink, can't drink. Um, so today, what I want to do um, is, uh, is talk a bit about what it is to move in the outward direction. If you're new with us, we have these four values, like our how we do things here. We want to see people become disciples of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus. And so we do that by journeying in four directions. We recognize people show up in all sorts of places. So we love the language of journey. People stumble into spirituality, stumble into the church, stumble into the way of Jesus from all different vantage points with different backgrounds, with different identities, with different ways of seeing the world, with different people they voted for. And so our goal is to help put you on a journey that brings you towards Jesus. And so we journey in four directions. One, can we remember, what's the first one? We journey upwards, which is just our way of saying we put Jesus first. We want to be with him. We believe Jesus is, is alive and present through the work of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of, of what he's taught, empowering us. Everything begins with intimacy. Right, that people would walk in, and so those those people would walk in from the outside into our church and say, "Those people love God; they have been with the Father." We are to be marked throughout the Scriptures by presence. This comes from engaging the Word. This comes from the supernatural power that God just speaking into our lives. This comes from being aware of the the earth being filled with all of the majesty and beauty of God. We journey what inward. We journey inward. This is we want to become like Jesus. The passage we're going to read in a moment reminds us that God wants to reconcile us to put us back together. God wants to restore and renew us. Three, we want to journey outward, which is what we're getting at today. We believe that, that um, life, when we talk about living our best life, journeying outward is critical to this. That we want to be people of, 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 just, of generosity in every sphere of life. We, like God, we move toward the other. That, the, that we want to do what Jesus did, and we see Jesus demonstrating and announcing the good news of God's love. The good news that Jesus is king. The good news that he is Lord. The good news that his way is, is the best possible way to live, and we invite people into the family. That's how we're a family, and that's how our family rolls. Some families are insular. Anybody of a family didn't have much of a social life, and it wasn't just because you were introverted. Anyone of a family where you kind of kept to yourselves. Anyone had a family like everybody was so jacked up you, 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 and didn't know how to like move past that. You didn't want to invite anybody into that space. Anybody in high school, like the last place you wanted to do was invite your friends over to your house. No, nobody? You all great homes? Great. And this is how our family, we roll as jacked up as we all are. Right, we are, the way we, our family moves in the world is that we want to invite more people in. We want to invite more people home. That's why we have those little cheeky signs as you come up the stairs, welcome home. It's not about sanctuary. It's what we want to, we want to welcome people into the family. And we all know this on a real base level, to live a life with no mission in it, even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus at all, you, you're like been confused by every bit of language that you've seen thrown at you this morning. First of all, welcome. This is a safe place for you to figure it all out and to journey. But you know, everybody I know knows this, that to live a life just for yourself is to live the way of death. Everybody knows deep down that to not love or to, to love and not love, um, I just say to not love, to not live a life of love is to live a life of, of such deep selfishness. To live a life that is just for yourself, 
Right? This is what, why people are always looking for great causes to give themselves to. We know deep in our bones, deep, deep in our bones, that we are hardwired to, 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 to do something, to go somewhere, to move in the direction of the other. There's something about who we are. For as much as our hardwiring leads us to a place of ego and pride in our death, if we believe the Christian story and we are made in God's image, then there is something about moving towards the other. People are looking for something to give their life to. I've yet to meet a person, even if it's ironically for some sort of selfish gain, that aren't looking for some way, some sort of cause, something to give their life to, something to die for, something they'd say, I would die for that. In fact, I've met many people as they approach midlife, they feel like I have nothing to die for. Isn't that an interesting way to think about life? Oftentimes we're like, I have nothing to live for. Now I'd argue you actually have nothing to die for. Do you have anything to die for today? And this is what we wanna get into in talking about mission. You ever been compelled to do something? Anyone have any? Can you turn to your neighbor real quick? I know this is dimmer in here than normal. And to wake up a little bit maybe. Can you turn to your neighbor and share with them maybe one thing, if you can think of it, that you've, like, you are com- always compelled to do. Compelled to do. Honest share time. Ready? One, two, three, go. Some of you are getting way too real, and some of you are talking about donuts right now. Right? Is that right? <laughs> some of you are like, well, you got to stop talking. All right, come back. Just shout out in like one word or two. What are some things? Don't shout out your neighbors. Shout out yours. What are you compelled to do? Make people feel welcome. Compelled to make people feel welcome. That's a good one. What else? Make people feel good. Compelled to provide. Any parents feel that? Just like I'm compelled to provide for you because if I don't, you're going, you're not going to make it. (laughs) Anything else? No, no stupid things? Great. <laughs> Those are all really noble things. To be compelled to do something. Right, when fall hits, I realize how compelled I am. Like my, my uh, I can feel, I don't really have this, but I can feel like a fall mood board, like emerging. Like as soon as the weather changes, I just like, I need a blanket and I need like a really hoppy beer and I need like, I need just carbs. Why does my body crave carbs? Is this because I'm Irish? Is this because the cold weather's coming? Is this some deep biological thing? Like I need, and all, I can like, oh, I need that smell. I need Fleet Foxes and Iron and Wine to come on the radio. Like I just, I need, I, I, I need to control this. I have really weird habits. My wife told me not to share this, but I'm just gonna share it anyway. Um, not because it's about her, just because it's gross and reflects on her poor choice in marrying me. Um, I, <laughs> I have this thing in the morning where like, you know, the, there's like the, the line between your nose and your cheek, right? That little, the valley there that we all have. Everyone have noses in the room. Come on, I need some engagement this morning. All right, great. That little valley right there, if you squeeze, right? Like the cheek part and the nose part right at the valley part, you always, you know, get, you get some stuff that comes up. It's disgusting. But no matter what, no matter how clean my face is, I always get a little, little bit, little, little white, little peep, 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 peep. I love it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I was the kid who always picked glue. I told the gross story about how I would like pick my nose and put it underneath my nightstand. And then the next night I would lay there in bed and pick off the dried booger. Welcome to Sanctuary Church. Yeah, it's disgusting. But I like, I can't honestly, all joking aside, I have a hard time not doing that every single morning. It's not healthy. There's these things we're compelled to do. Now, being compelled to do something is not being coaxed into it or persuaded to do it. It's just I have to do it. So if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. It'll be on the screen as well. 
We've read this passage often as a community. This has been something central that we have come back to time and again to make sense of because it kind of crystallizes every aspect of the mission of God. This is the writer Paul talking to a brand new church in Corinth in a city that's not wildly different than ours. It is not a city at all where the way of Jesus is elevated, where there are Christian ethics in the marketplace and in the political sphere. Paul writes this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels him to do something. He's convinced of the Christian story. He's been moved in some way and experienced the love of God that he is compelled. So from now on, verse 16, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. C.S. Lewis says, you've never met a mere mortal. When we look around at others, maybe this is the only moment and thing you need to preach today. Do you see people as just like just another person? Or worse, do you in some way dishonor the people around you? Do you have a constantly negative and cynical view towards God's creation? God's creation. Do you constantly assume the worst of people? It makes sense. It's understandable. Just not the way of Jesus. You've never met just another person. Powerful. Maybe there is a truth that you're like unique snowflake after all. Though we once were regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Like we once saw Jesus as just an ordinary person. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. When you see brothers and sisters, you are looking at people you're going to spend eternity with. I remember Anne Lamont, a very, very, very progressive writer who is a follower of Jesus, talking about how she thinks this was during the, the George W. Bush era. And she was talking about how I feel like most of my like, Christian formation that I'm experiencing right now, she's talking about forgiveness and reconciliation, is having to deal with the fact that God's probably gonna sit me next to George W. Bush at the banquet table in heaven. Anyone too old to remember any of that, that's fine. Really liberal person next to a really conservative person. Child, you get it? Okay, great. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation's come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. This is what God's like. He's not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. What God's doing in us as a church, we are invited then to, to, to preach, speak, and demonstrate this message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You guys know I love that verse. As though God were making his appeal, Paul's like, to the rest of the world through you. So we implore you. We beg you. Please, on Christ's behalf, not because of us, be reconciled to God. There is so much urgent language in here. There, is, there, is, there are commands in here, but what I love about these commands is what the way in which Paul is framing this is that, look, we have been so moved and compelled by what's happened. We're not just telling you what to do. We are saying, Go and make sure that you have aligned yourself in the same way we have with Christ. Because at that point, we won't have to tell you to go and love and bless and serve the world. You'll just do it. Because Christ's love will compel you. Christ's love will compel you to see others, even the person who has hurt you and knocked you down, will compel you to stop gossiping and not see them as just another person, but to honor them. Christ's love will compel you to love your enemy and to become very peculiar in a world that is so divisive that doesn't know how to talk about the person they disagree with. You will be a strange Christian. Never in my life that I think radical, the radical nature of Christ in a culture would be being a moderate. 
Welcome to 2019. He is is imploring them, not like yelling at them. Look, guys, you got to go do this because God tells you to go demonstrate and announce the good news of Jesus. Go tell people about Jesus. Go tell people about how good he is. Serve the poor. Go serve the poor. No, he starts with, look, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Look, look, Christ's love is what compels us. Don't let my words, don't let a preacher, don't let a book be the thing that motivates you because it'll lose its steam because it doesn't have enough energy. No, no, no. It's got to be rooted back in an understanding that God is on the throne. It's got to be rooted in you coming to grips and practicing regularly with God's love and not forgetting your first love. Anyone need to hear that this morning? Anyone needed to hear for a moment, like, before I sit here and feel semi-guilted by the pastor that I should, like, talk to people more about Jesus, I don't even know what I think about Jesus. Good, stop, zoom in right there. Go back and remember how he saved you. Go back and pray and give him at least a chance instead of falling prey to really bad, sloppy, anthropological ideology that is permeating our world right now. Give him a sec, give him a chance. Go back to the word and open the scriptures and say, God, if you're real, don't feel, I could go down a whole rabbit trail right now. I'm gonna stop, praise Jesus. All right, here we go. Paul. Just before he says this, says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, so we try to persuade others. Paul knows who God is, and then he says, for Christ's love compels us. He knows what he is like. They know who God is, and they are compelled to go. They are compelled and moved. This is the word uh, for compel on the screen the Greek word that's being used here, it's meant to take into custody. It was the word for the prisoner who, has, who is being held in custody by a superior power. Paul uses this like he's been captured or held in custody by the love of God. He looks and acts differently from others because he's been overwhelmed by this, law, by this love. Some translations don't use the word compel, and it's not, a, compel is a better translation as far as I can read it. But some translations, um, older translations use the word control. Like, like he acts out of selflessness because he's like controlled by that love now. It's such an interesting dynamic because it's like, I kind of have no other option. But the reason I have no other option is not because I'm being like, like I have strings attached to me like a puppet. The reason I have no other option is because I've seen something. Because I've experienced something. Because I've trusted something to be true. Isn't that interesting? It's a striking word. And this isn't just a random verse. Paul talks about this all over the place. God demonstrates his own love for us, own love toward us, it says in Romans 5. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.35 says, who shall separate us from the love of God? See, being compelled is like necessitated action. It's necessitated action. Its existence necessitates action. I've been so compelled by the love of God. The closer you get to it. Now, the opposite of being compelled is being, again, persuaded or convinced or coaxed. That's why I struggle when religion falls into this trap. I struggle when, and I use religion on purpose there. Like I struggle when, when, when the church starts to fall into a trap of feeling like I got to sell a product versus helping just point people to a place of encounter with Jesus. Now I'm all for like robust intellectual discourse. Paul takes time trying to like help people make sense of this love. Being a convincing person is not bad. Being, being intellectual is not bad. But when the end game comes, let me help you adopt sort of a, a worldview of how to see things, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. 
to get through the storms of life. And God's not inviting you to believe some facts about him. He's inviting you to own, <laughs> own the reality that you are family and to trust his grace, to trust what he's done. Paul has seen Jesus do something. You don't ever see Jesus trying to coax people. He's trying to help reveal who the Father is. He's been overwhelmed by this kind of love. Anyone been overcome by that kind of love? If we were in more of like a, like a workshop setting, I'd have you turn to the people around you and just talk about that moment that some of you have had, that some of you have forgotten about. Maybe it was a series of moments. It was a way in which maybe you were at a certain place in life and things have happened. You've experienced the blessings of walking with God for so long and you've forgotten the author of those blessings. What you've been sensing here today, if you just came in and you're new, I know we have a few new folks with us. Like you're not sensing a, a vibe today. I know we had a few Jedis in here this morning, a few kids. You're not sensing the force. No, you're sensing the living God. There's a story where Jesus is about to die. We talk about being overwhelmed by this kind of love. Jesus is about to die and he's with his close friends who should be comforting him. Instead, Jesus, the God of the universe, finds himself comforting them and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me and you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know what kind of trouble you walked in with today. But he says, you can trust in me and that will be the antidote. To trust in me. There's a difference between believing and trusting. And trusting has to do with experiencing this love. Trusting has a lot to do with, 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 with encounter. Trust has a lot to do with placing yourself into the place where God is at work versus standing back and believing some facts about who God is. There, there's a, a tightrope tight rope walker. Uh, I can't remember. His name is escaping me right now. I just looked it up. Um, who, did, who would do these like, unbelievable feats across the gorge in Niagara Falls. And he would do this, one time he's doing this, he's going back and forth, unbelievably dangerous, no rope, no, no, no net, just there is a rope, there was one tight rope, and with a wheelbarrow. And this famous story, as people are cheering for him, saying, you're amazing, you're amazing, um, he invites the crowd, well, do you believe, he asks them, like, do you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow? So he hasn't done it yet. Can I, can I, I can walk this wheelbarrow across this, this, uh, this gorge, across Niagara Falls. Do you believe that I could do this? The tight walk roper, the tight rope walker ass. And they all go, yes, you totally can do it. We believe. And then he goes, how many of you want to get in the wheelbarrow? Right? This is the difference between belief and trust. I believe you can do it, but I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I'm not going to, no, 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 no. I, I think you can, but no. But I'm not going to step in. Just because I believe you can doesn't mean I believe you will. And the call of Christ is to jump into the wheelbarrow. You don't know if you can trust him until you trust him. You don't know if you can trust Jesus until you actually trust Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms and he wants everyone in. And he gives us a vision of what God is like. I'm gonna carry you. I can walk with you, but you're gonna need to trust me. You, you, you don't know if he can be trusted until you actually trust him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You, you gotta trust me. 
People sometimes hear that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and they, they start feeling really, really uncomfortable and think Jesus is being really exclusive. I don't think Jesus is being exclusive. One writer says Jesus is not being exclusive here. It's just being specific. He's just being specific. He's not being exclusive. Jesus is just simply giving directions. There's a specific way, folks, if I was going to invite you over my house to get to. At first, it looks like there's a lot of different routes, but at some point, there is a specific way. And if you don't take that way, you will not get to my house. He's being specific. Clear-cut directions. Do you want to live the life of the ages? Well, you, you got to go this way. Do you want to step into who you were created to be? Do you want to be all that you were made to be? Do you want to make sense of the, align yourself with the, the true story of the whole world? Then come to me and trust me. Trust me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. I know it feels risky. I know it feels dangerous. I know you may be scared, but trust me. He's not surprised by your doubt. He's not surprised by what you're going through. And he doesn't promise you a trouble-free life, but he promises he's trustworthy and faithful and can, will be with you. He has good plans for you. He so loves you. I go down this little rabbit trail for a moment this morning because I, I wanted for some of you to just be briefly reminded. I mean, I could go on and go on and give a whole gospel message from here. But I want to just re remind you, like, this is what Paul's got going on when he writes, for Christ's love compels us. He's like, I, I had an encounter with the love of God and I decided to trust him. And so I got into the wheelbarrow and we started across the falls and it's not perfect. I've been in jail. I've been this, I've been this, but God's had me the whole way. In fact, Paul at one point, so let's be really honest. At one point, he's like, I want to die. Not because of walking with Jesus, just because he recognizes more and more how broken the world is. But he goes, oh my gosh, for your sake and for the sake of what God, do, God is doing and knowing that God's putting it all back together, I'm staying in the wheelbarrow. He is now on the adventure of a lifetime. He has been so caught up in life with Jesus that he's like, I, I, I urge you, get in the wheelbarrow. It's amazing. And when you get into that wheelbarrow, when you begin to trust this love, when you begin to trust this story, you will be compelled to share it. You will be compelled to demonstrate it. You will be compelled to talk about it. Look, it's not weird to talk about something you love. Some of you love some weird stuff, though. Is that true? Hmm? Some of you adults actually came in costumes today because you're like, it's not just for the kids. And I love Marvel, right? Marvel's the least of our problems. <laughs> some of you love some weird stuff, right? Why, what are the things that I talk most about in sermons, those of you who've been around? <laughs> Patriots? What else? You two? Yep. And what movie? Fight Club. <laughs> I talk... <laughs> These aren't great examples. If you're new with us, you're like, you two, Patriots and Fight Club. Yeah, I'm out of this church. The things I love, they just keep coming out. I almost never have those things in my notes. I'm just so compelled to talk about them. It's not weird to talk about the things that you love. Look, every new believer I have met who's had a genuine encounter with God can't shut up. I, multiple times over the last year, I keep like blowing up her spot. Mom, and keep doing it. My friend Lexi. Lexi does not have a theology degree. In fact, I've seen, I don't know if Lexi's here today, but seen some of the things that Lexi has posted, and I'm like, mm, we should talk about that. She's not waiting to get all her ducks in a row. She's been so overwhelmed by the love of God that her whole circle and her whole network, almost all of which is not followers of Jesus, she's like, you gotta come, you gotta come, you gotta come, you gotta come. It's like all of a sudden, the, oh, I'm a little scared to invite people into this space. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna just say something, trust me. Uh, Lex, are you here? This is weird for her. She, Lex is cooler than all of you. Cooler than me. She's pretty much the coolest person, one of the coolest people I've ever met. Not all of you. Some of you are pretty cool. She's got a lot to lose by putting this all up. Can we, can we just talk about the big elephant in the room today? Kanye? I don't know what's happening. I'm not going to give some commentary why it was the best thing or the worst. I, all I know is it lines up with my experience 
of when somebody has a genuine encounter, they're just like, oh, I don't even care. No more music. He's telling producers, no premarital sex, no swearing in the studio. I'm like, Kanye West, Kanye West, Kanye West. I know every song. I love his records. One of the darkest rappers in some ways that I've ever, you are, what? What is happening? What is happening? And then he puts out an album, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, put out a record yesterday called Jesus is King, which sounds like a gospel hip hop album. We'll talk about whether it's actually a good piece of art or not some other time. But my gosh, like this lines up with everything I know. Well, stay on hip hop for a moment. Chance the Rapper has this unbelievable encounter with Jesus, starts posting up on Instagram about how he needs to study the Bible more and he's going on a sabbatical. He gets up at the Grammys and apparently tells the Grammys as he's got his whole catalog because he's nominated for Best New Artist. He says, you know how I'm going to begin the Grammys? I'm going to begin it by singing, how great is our God, sing with me. Chance the Rapper starts his performance at the Grammys with a Chris Tomlin song. I don't even know if that's good or not. But what it is lines up with every single experience I've had with somebody who gets knocked off their horse, gets hit by the love of God. They're going, I got to share this. I got to share this. Grammys, we're in. Going to sabotage my career by putting out a gospel album that sounds like Lecrae? Great. Going to put it out. Like, and I mentioned like celebrity folks, or I mentioned my friend Lexi, like I, I, I mentioned all this because I think for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we actually need to hear and remember these stories. Because if you're not compelled to share and demonstrate the love of God, you've got to check yourself. That's all. No guilt, because it's really hard to talk about Jesus right now. Because it's not weird to talk about things that you love. And it's not weird to talk about things about something that you love unless you're ashamed of the things that you love. That's the only time it's weird. Because as hard as our cultural moment is right now, apparently it's still very possible. You're going to get maybe some shade. <laughs> it's going to be confusing for people. But unless you're ashamed. Unless you're ashamed. And there is everything pushing against us right now. So I don't want to bring more shame to you. Everything in our world right now is producing a whole lot of shame about sharing the gospel. I want to take a quick look at our cultural moment. Stay with me for a moment. Where are we right now? A few things. You can put this next slide up. A couple challenges we have. The challenge of authenticity, the challenge of pluralism, the challenge of the privatization of our faith, the challenge of our own sin and the sin of the church and the, the, the challenge of really bad blogger theology. Ready for this one? The only sin in our culture right now is not being your authentic self, which sounds like a good thing, except everybody's authentic self that I know changes about every 10 Instagram posts. <laughs> Love you. Nobody has the right outside of me to determine who I am and how I live. The worst thing we can do is to conform to some ideas that have been passed down to us. The only rule is as long as you're not harming anybody else in immediate word, and I use that on purpose, then like it doesn't matter. Just be you. Celebrate you. Celebrate you, whoever you are, whoever you determine yourself to be. And by no means do you let anybody outside impose anything upon you unless you can somehow integrate that into your vision of your authentic self. Your authentic self then is determined, does it resonate most with the things that make me feel best? This just is. I'm just stating some things that are right now. The, the, the challenge of pluralism. Basically just the idea that there's many ways of getting to God, which is not a new idea. We live in a globalized society where we're more connected than ever before. So we're exposed sometimes to some of the nicest people. Maybe you came to Providence and you're exposed to like this amazing couple, kindest people you've ever met, more sweet than any follower of Jesus you've ever met in your life. And they're Muslim. I don't know what to do with that. It's hard for me to imagine like somehow they don't get it or they don't get life. And maybe they're not really, they're going to go to hell or I don't know how to make sense of that. And so immediately... It's jarring to recognize in a globalized world where we have more connection than people than ever before. And this will shake us because we quite, we so often demonize people from a distance who we don't get. We demonize folks 
who we're not close to, and we actually come into close contact with people, um, we, we struggle because all of a sudden we're like, how could God not love them? Or they not get it? Or maybe they're not. And so this is just a reality that we're sort of stuck with and we feel in a new way. The privatization of faith. So with the increase of secularism, the goal in our current culture, a city like Providence, so if you're listening to this podcast from Kentucky, this may not be the case, but we're starting to feel this really everywhere in the West. The goal is to push faith from the center to the margin, from public to private. So it's moving from just sort of a strange thing about you, you're a Christian, and it moves to being a threat. Right? This is why Kanye's album ticks so many people off. It'd be the example, here's what I mean by this. If you identify as, as gay, and you go, look, I'm gay. This is actually who I really am. This is an important part of my identity. And I am not going to leave my sexual identity out of the workforce. This is who I am. And so I expect you to accept who I am and to make space for that. And so we have whole days and, and times that we celebrate various things about who people are. Hence the term when it comes to the LGBTQ community, right? The, the idea of pride. We take pride in who we are. And that has moved from the outskirts actually to the center. And so for the follower of Jesus, this is actually kind of confusing because the, the, the follower of Jesus feels the exact same way as the person who may identify as whatever, right? Or the person who has a particular worldview that wants to see that elevated in the world. This is who I am. Like, this is just who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is why sometimes I drop a language all the time, like little names like Nelson Mandela, or I'll mention Martin Luther King. Like, why do I mention things like that? I just remind you of like the great history. Like this isn't bizarre that you're a follower of Jesus. This isn't strange. But so often we feel pushed away and pushed and ostracized to the side. Like we're not allowed to bring my full self into the center. I want to be able to bring all of myself in. And that's what people begin to feel. That the only place that they can do that is in a private religious setting. And so then on top of all that, we feel the shame of a church that's in bed with Washington, D.C., a Catholic church that's hit by scandal, white evangelical men going for somebody like Trump. We get confused. It's really, really difficult to then make sense of how we're to operate in our current Providence cultural like, moment here. Last one. Well, and then I would just say our sins, like tied into that. So some of us feel like, I, I can't share my faith I don't know how to engage this. I'm feeling this weight of just, you don't know how jacked up I am or how many doubts I have or how many questions I have, how many struggles that I have. And when your faith isn't fresh like it is with Lexi or Chance or Kanye, it, it feels distant and removed. And the last one, the Bible doesn't really like mean what you think it means, right? So the last one is, is theology. When people say like, oh, my God would never do that, that is the first sign that they are making God in their own image. My God would never. My God would never. Oh, no, you're not reading the Bible right. No, 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 you don't understand. I watched a YouTube video that explains why what every single follower of Jesus for the last 2,000 years has said about that isn't really true. No, no you got to check out the YouTube video or the four scholars that align with that. You sense me twitching. I'm twitching. No, 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 no. There's a blog and an Instagram post that says something contrary to what Christian doctrine has always said, but they must be right because they said it really winsomely and everything is desaturated and looks really nice in their upper white middle-class living room. I'm getting very specific now. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you. So here's the challenge. <laughs> if you grew up then in church, anyone grow up in church? You grew up in church, maybe some of you had this experience where it's like you, 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 were, you were asked at a time where your hormones were raging and you were compelled to do a lot of things with your body. And you talk to a youth group leader and go, what do I do with all the ways that I am compelled? And they were like, well, just, you know, sex is bad outside of marriage. Shut it all down. Just shut it down. God's way is the best way. Don't just don't have sex. Don't. They just tell you to shut it down. And then, then you, you meet somebody and you're like, wait, does this mean everybody who I don't isn't a Christian is going to hell and I don't know what to do with that? Yep, everybody who isn't a Christian is going to hell. Well, I, was, I had a really convincing thing about evolution that happened in the Bible or in, in science class this week. I don't know how to deal with that. Um, is that different than Adam and Eve? No, nope, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. That's it. No evolution. Right? We, we get shut down. And then all of a sudden we hit college and we get exposed to really thoughtful 
ideas and, and all we've been, we haven't been prepared to walk out the way of Jesus. We haven't been prepared to actually make sense of the nuance of a very complicated world. We haven't made sense of how to integrate our faith. We haven't a- allowed those hard questions to be actually engaged and honored. And then we're supposed to have all these clever answers. We're supposed to have all these clever answers. Like, oh, Andrew, you could explain like, the way of Jesus to somebody who hates you or hates the way of Jesus, but I don't think I could. Or maybe another leader, somebody in your life. Or if I could just give them that book. I have a buddy of mine who likes to evangelize by giving books. Just like, oh, it's an interesting question. I have no idea what to do. Read this book. Right? We just feel overwhelmed. It makes sense. I say all of these things. The challenge of the age of authenticity, of how there's all these access to faith, of how our faith has been privatized, about our own sin and the sin of the church, and then feeling like we have this theological conundrum. And then on top of that, we've been prepared, those of us who are Christians, so poorly for engaging in the world. It heaps this insecurity. And the desire to be on mission gets pounded out of us. Does anyone feel that? Does anyone feel like the desire to to go and share the love of Jesus? You immediately start to roll your eyes because, yeah, well, it's not in my world. I'm not really wired like that. To demonstrate, like, I mean, step out and serve and bless the city, your family, in like powerful and radical Christless ways. No, why? Because we feel shame. There is shame in our world about being a Christian. It's like you, you, you out yourself sometimes. And I use that language specifically. Like, yeah, I'm, what did you do this weekend? I went to, to church. Oh, cool. I didn't know you were a homophobic bigot. Does anyone else feel that? I know that sounds like exaggerated, but does anyone else feel that a little bit? Anybody? We know it's not real. You've come up hopefully and been around this church and you know what it is to walk faithfully in the way of Jesus. But just because this is a safe place, because we nuance things, because we talk about the hard stuff, blah, 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 blah. Like, it doesn't mean it translates to being on mission out there. Paul writes, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. Again, obligated, I'm compelled. There's something happening in me. This is why I'm so eager to preach the good news also to you here in Rome. He's in Rome. He's in a place where Christianity has been ostracized. It is being made fun of. It is being kicked to the corners. It's barely even a thing right now. It's this cultish thing. And he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Why did Paul write, I am not ashamed of the gospel? Why? Because people were feeling shame. Right? Like, I got to remind some folks, like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because people were feeling shame. The gospel produces power. He says, you don't need to be ashamed. It's actually cultural moments like this one with things like that stacked against us that the good news thrives. The good news, this story It will thrive in our culture if we only have the strength to step out and demonstrate and announce it with purity and goodness and in the power of Christ. Neil Postman says this about stories, and then I'll begin to wrap up. And I'm going long today, but I really want to help us have a framework for why we feel this edge and angst around being on mission. Neil Postman writes this. In his essay, Science and the Story We Need, he says, in the end, science does not provide the answers most of us require. Its story of our origins and of, and of our end is, to say the least, unsatisfactory. To the question, how did it all begin? Science answers, probably an accident. To the question, how will it all end? Science answers, probably an accident. And to many people, the accidental life is not worth living. Moreover, the science God has no answer to the question, why are we here? And to the question, what moral instructions do you give us? The science God maintains silence. So this isn't a hit on science. This is a hit on how we 
the idol that we make in this space. Look, there's more hypocrisy in the world than there is in the church. You want to know why? Because no one lives like the world is an accident. I have yet to meet a person who lives like the world is an accident. We live like there's worth and intention. We live like there's morality. We live like there's a God. The secular story doesn't satisfy, and everybody deep down knows it. Charles Taylor says, there's this desire to gather uh, together the scattered moments of meaning into some kind of whole. No story has power, nor will it last, unless we feel it in ourselves that it is true and it is of us. This story, this love has captivated us and compelled us. This story of, of, look, there's a God who, look, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I've got, I've got a house with a whole lot of rooms, and I want to welcome people home. When we feel ourselves, sense ourselves, trust that we are being welcomed home, and trust that we are we're being placed on the wheelbarrow. <laughs> trust that, that there's a journey that we can step into and a life that we can step into with God that is the best possible way. When the story that everybody I know is longing for, of like, how do I make sense of all these broken, fractured pieces? Are we ready to share that story? Are we ready to bear witness to this love? A few things that we need to do then we go. If you're taking notes, this is the last thing. And we're going to close. Still with me? We need to break the fear of man. I just sense that some of you just need to like, just be told that like, you're scared. Stop. You don't need to be scared. Trust God. I need to hear this. Stop trying to pad everything. Be bold. Be honest. Look, we're, we're, all we're doing is going out there and sharing a story of Christ's compelling love for people. So when coupled with the demonstration of radical acts of love and forgiveness, I don't think people care anything we have to say. <laughs> Break the power of distraction. Paul considered everything else garbage for the sake of knowing Christ. I think we're distracted and so we forget our story. We forget our first love. We forget what God has done. We need to go back to that campfire. We need to go back to that moment in church. We need to go back to that youth group moment. We need to go back to that Sunday a few years ago. We need to go back and remember our baptism. We remember to go back and how God rescued and saved us. We need to go back to that moment that God brought peace from our anxiety. Or we need to name, we've never had that encounter and we just sort of like adopted a way of thinking about the world. And so we need to go, God help. most of all, we need to be captivated by God. Find ourselves captivated and caught up. First Peter 3 says, but in your hearts, revere Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that you may, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Be gentle, be respectful, be so full of love that when actually people kick you down for believing things that they don't make sense, that doesn't make sense to them at all, others will go, you can't do that to them. Look how loving and gracious they've been. I don't care that they believe crazy things like a dude rose from the dead. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord above everything else. Revere Jesus as King. Revere Jesus as King. Be wise in the way you act toward people outside of this room. Make the most of every opportunity. When you're compelled by love, you will make the most of your social media feed and you will make the most of the conversations you have. You will make the most of opportunities to be a voice of hope. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have within you. Be prepared to give a reason. Be prepared. Of all the things you should be prepared for, this is the most important one. Be prepared to be a voice of hope in the world, to be known by love. 
Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you this morning aware. Lord, aware of um, all the things that are kicking against us, that are pushing back against us feeling open and free. I think a lot of people in this room are compelled to demonstrate and announce the rich and welcoming love of God to the world. And they feel crippled. They feel paralyzed. They feel unsure. There are things like their own sin, Lord, that are keeping them back. And I ask you in this moment, Lord, please, in faith, I ask you right now, would you remove the boundaries? Would you break the fear of man in our church? Or would you break the fear of man in our church? Lord, would you um, increase, would you help us know your heart more than ever, that we may be people who weep over the lost, who radically pour out our lives, lives of love and sacrifice, who see the poor and the oppressed in our midst, who step in, Lord, for, to do acts of justice in an unjust world who see the hurting, who see those that are kicked down. Give us your heart, Lord. It says you grieved when you saw the lost. You weep when you saw the broken. Lord, make us just weepers, Lord, for the hurting, that it may produce powerful acts, Lord, of love. Lord, when my sisters and brothers fill with just shame, would they know that they are forgiven? Lord, would they be reminded that you have used people with all sorts of brokenness in their life. In fact, those are the people you like to use. The meek, the hurting, the broken. Those are the people you make your appeal through so often, Lord. I pray right now that you bring to mind actual names of people to reach out to, to love, to serve, to bless, to share the way of Jesus with, to welcome into church next Sunday, Lord, that you would do this. Moving us, Lord.